Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. I want to talk to you today about the call of God, the purpose of life. And I'll start with a question. Do you know your life's purpose? Do you know your life's purpose? It's a big question to start with, isn't it? Like some of you haven't even woke up yet. I get that. And uh, you're waking up and all of a sudden, wow, i got to talk about that. I asked a, an informal Facebook poll recently about how do you know purpose in life. And the range of answers was as varied as 24 hours of Missouri weather. Now, some of you know me well as you warned others, be careful, it's a setup. It really wasn't, kind of was, it always kind of is. That's what we're going to be looking at in this next section of Genesis. Genesis chapters 1 through 11 surveyed the question of providence, where we looked at origins, beginnings, how things came about. We saw many firsts there. We saw the creation of all things. We saw how it is that sin entered the world by temptation to rebellion and and the impact and the influence of sin on people, the pervasive spread of sin across the globe, and also the impact of sin and how it impacts society. Well, today, as we launch into this next section of Genesis, chapters 12 through 36, we begin with this great theme, this overarching theme of the question of purpose. So we know our origin and providence. Now I want us to begin to unpack this idea of purpose. How do we know purpose in life? Where do we find it? What threatens it? Those are the kinds of things that I want us to consider in the lives of those people that we see in these next chapters. Chapters 12 through 36 of Genesis is the patriarchal history where we look at the lives of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob and their offspring. And we see the work of God through these chosen people for His purposes. My prayer for each one of us is that each of us in this study would consider the call of God upon our lives in Jesus Christ and come to know and live in and yea even rest in God's purpose for us. Let me ask you a question that will help you apply today's message and the messages moving forward. Is there any area of your life that makes sense without Jesus Christ? Any area of your life that you would say, you know, if, if I just completely removed Christ, if I took away His commands, if I took away just His presence or His power from this part of my life, it would still make sense. It, it, it would be okay. It would continue. Let, let me just offer you a heartfelt, loving warning. If there is any area of your life that makes sense outside of the will of God for your life, It is that very area that is thwarting God's will in your life. And that's what I want to challenge us to look at today. I want us to see that the call of God brings purpose to life when we walk by faith to His command through Jesus Christ. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was uh, 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Now before we dive into what the text says, I think it would help us to have a little bit of introductory information about who this man Abram really is. He lived about as long before Jesus walked on the earth as we do after. And all we really know about Abram's background, we see in the last few verses of Genesis chapter 11. Abram was the son of Terah. Terah worshipped the moon deity in Ur. Ur was a city in today's modern-day Iraq. And almost directly east of Jerusalem and just a bit to the south. But in Ur, it tells us that Terah decided to move his family to Canaan. Now, this is not going to make a lot of sense to you geographically, directionally. But if this is Ur and this is the land of Canaan... Instead of moving from point A to point B, maybe they didn't understand that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Terah goes to Haran in modern-day Turkey. 700 miles he journeyed, and once there they stopped, and while in Haran, Terah dies. And that's where Abraham is at when God calls him from that place. So Abraham takes his family and journeys back to the south, again about 700 miles, and he pitches his tent at Shechem. Now then, let's pause there for a moment, because at Shechem some significant things begin to happen that we'll come back to in just a moment. But we need to ask a question that's critical for our understanding as well. Why did God choose Abram? Why did God choose Abram? Abram didn't no God, was not a worshiper of God to our understanding or knowledge. And I think it's an important question for us, but it's never going to be an easy question for us to answer why God chose Abram. Let me tell you why I pose this question, because the longer that I follow the Lord, the more I have learned this lesson. God chooses whom God chooses. And you're going to see that in the book of Genesis, that the people God chooses to use don't always make sense to you and I. 
Maybe you are at a place in your life and you know God has spoken to you, is speaking to you and calling you, and you're wondering why would God be speaking to me? God chooses whom he chooses. You see, in the choosing of God, it is important for us to understand not the who, but the why. But the why. And it is the why of God's choosing that we should pursue. I don't understand everything God does. As a matter of fact, every day, what I do understand is that that category in my life of not understanding all that God does continues to grow exponentially. Like, like the more I know of Him, the more I know I don't know of Him. But here's what I do know, friends. All that God does always aligns with all that I know of Him in His Word. God does not act in contrast or counter to His work. And all of His works accomplish His will for His glory in which my good resides. You see, that's the blessing of what it means to be a Christian. So, we need a faithful conclusion and application to the foundation that we've just made. Whatever God does is my good. So often, we have trouble with that. We don't want to trust Him in that. But that's what this understanding leads us to. God chooses people to accomplish His sovereign will on the earth. This is critically important as we see the origin of two central doctrines that will ultimately create the foundational pillars for our salvation. The doctrine of election and the doctrine of covenant. These are the foundation to understanding all of God's salvation work through Jesus Christ. And we see them from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 12, God calls to Abraham and to a man that we know very little about how much he would have known about God. Here is what God says in verse 1. Go to a place that I will show you. I don't know about you, but that's very few details for me, right? I'm not an overly detail-oriented person, but at least I'd like a direction, God, right? But God said what? Go, and I'll show you where you're going to go. You just begin to go. But the command was not offered alone. Verses 2 and 3, God offers a promise that accompanies the command, that he will make Abram a great nation by blessing him. And not only will he blessing bless him, but he will become for him a protection around him, that anyone who harms or uh, in any way does not receive Abram will be cursed by God. And through Abram, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Wow. That, that seems like a massively great promise. You see, God's command is inconceivably big. But His promise is unimaginably greater God's blessing and promise to Abram was not simply for all the people of his day, but for all people. 
And what we learn because of the New Testament's teaching and reflecting and teaching from this time is that God's promise will culminate in the work of Jesus Christ. That God's promise to Abram, he would begin with Abram, but he would culminate the fullness of the work in the work of Jesus Christ. And ultimately that all people upon the earth would be blessed through Abram by the preaching of the gospel to all nations and the response of faith to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You see, friends, Abram was a vessel. He was a vessel through whom God chose to bring his Messiah, Jesus Christ, to the earth. And he was a vessel through whom the good news would be preached on the whole earth. And so here's what we see in this text, that Abram's response to God's call, verse 4, is immediate. Abram didn't ask any questions. He didn't negotiate any details. He didn't argue. He didn't even speak. The Bible says he went as the Lord told him. Now, it might be a little easier for us to understand if Abram was a young guy with a future in front of him. His idealism were as big as the horizon, and he just wanted to be used by God in a great way. But that's not who Abraham was. Abram was a 75-year-old man who had deep anchors in the ground. He had a lot invested where he was. He had been successful in many ways and he had established himself and he had a large responsibility for his family and all the people that went with him and all the belongings that he had. But it doesn't tell us that Abram used any of those things as leverage with God. It says he picked them up and he took them with him. And he went. When God commanded. Listen, friends, it's this simple. Abram obeyed. He obeyed. The story tells us that he came to a place called Shechem. And at Shechem, the Lord appeared and he shows more of his promise to Abraham. Now, let's talk about Shechem for just a moment because Shechem will become a very important place where God meets his people on a number of occasions throughout the Old Testament. I'll give you two illustrations. When Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt and he brings them into the desert, it is at Shechem in Deuteronomy chapter 11 where he declares to the people God's blessing for their obedience, God's curses for their disobedience. So there is a lesson where God will meet again with his people under the leadership of Moses at the same place where he's meeting with Abraham here. Sometime later, it will be under Joshua's leadership. Chapter 24, when Joshua at Shechem will say to the people of Israel, Choose ye this day whom you will serve, whether it will be the gods of this world or the one true God who is As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Shechem is an important place in the scripture. And here, God renews the vision of his call to Abraham and reinforces the depth and strength of his promise in light of that call. And the Bible tells us that in that instant, Abram built an altar to the Lord and worshiped. 
A short time later, he moves on to Bethel and Ai and camps between the two mountains. And it tells us yet again, he met with the Lord and he built an altar and he worshiped the Lord there. I want us to pause at the end of these first 10 verses and consider for just a moment what it is that has taken place here. There's three aspects of Abraham's life that I think stand out that I want to highlight for us today as a model for how it is we walk by faith. The first aspect is that I want you to note Abram's receptiveness to hear the Lord. His receptiveness to hear the Lord. So often it is overlooked or undervalued in our world. And we look at a guy like Abram go, well, yeah, he's in the Bible though. Uh, he couldn't not hear the Lord. But listen, friends, it wasn't a turbulent tornado that blew through for Abram to hear, for the, hear from the Lord. God's voice in that day was not an unavoidable reality you couldn't escape that crashed in upon your time. Abram lived in a time of religious plurality when the options were even more frivolous and numerous than what we enjoy today. Maybe enjoy is not the best term there to use for that. And we know of no gospel speaking influence in Abram's life. At this time, accept the voice of God, who we have no evidence that Abram even knew. We're not totally sure how Abram knew or all that he did know about the Lord, but we are sure of this. He demonstrates for us a life of full surrender by his receptiveness. To hear, when you came in today, were you ready to hear something from God? Like, did you walk in going, God, I've got something to tell you? Or God, I'm here to hear from you. Would God have to send a tornado and destroy all that you understand in life in order to get your attention? Or would the gentleness of breezes that crossed your face be enough? To hearken your attention to him today. A receptiveness to hear. The second aspect I want you to see today is Abram's readiness to obey. If his receptiveness is not fully convincing of his surrenderedness to God, then surely his obedience in response confirms it for us. Abram's surrender was one of action, not vain, hollow words. It wasn't just about knowledge growing, but rather obedience forming. It was not only a receptiveness to hear, friends, it was a readiness to obey, to follow the Lord. The third aspect to note in Abram's model for us is his priority to worship. This will become a central theme in his life as it's already been established in the last few verses that we read. Abram worshipped every place that he went. You see friends, he reminds us that worship is not just one stop along the way, but it is the practice of your life all along the way. And the call to follow Jesus is first and foremost a call to worship with our whole life. For the priority to worship the Lord at all times for the Christian is both the fuel and the reward to hear from God and walk 
in obedience by faith to Him. Christian, I want to warn you today to be careful. Be careful that you do not trust your heart so much that, that, that you allow it to be your guide. For our heart, we know, is tainted by sin's allure. Be careful that you do not trust your thinking alone because we know that our thinking is perverted, it is skewed, it is twisted, the scriptures teach us, by sin's deception upon us. Make absolutely sure that you are fully surrendered by faith to hear from the Lord, obey, and worship Him. This is a life of full surrender. And this life of full surrender is not without its dangers that threaten us and await us. Look at verse 10. It tells us at this time while they were in the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. Maybe you've heard it said the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. That's what it's teaching us here. Not only in promise but in threat too, right? He thinks he's going to be hungry. His heart starts working over time. Watch this. Watch this. There is one great threat that always sidetracks God's purpose. Our unbelief to make another plan as we substitute it for God's plan. Verse 11 continues, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Well, thank you, Abram. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. We can't believe what a 65-year-old woman would look like. We were just championing a 50-year-old woman last week. God says, I got that. Abram says, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. So when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. As a matter of fact, she was beautiful. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. You know what he said? Ridiculous blessing came upon him. It would appear that his plan worked. Except, verse 17... But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. Truth always has a way of leveling reality, does it not? She's not your sister only, Abram. She's your wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Friends, I want us to consider how this plan of unbelief develops in this story so we can see how it threatens to develop within us as well. A famine sent Abram to Egypt. 
And as he was about to enter Egypt, Abram grew afraid. He was afraid of what he had conjured up in his mind. What could be? What might be? What if? What, what happens? When? And, and he knows this. They will notice Sarah's beauty and they will kill him so that they can keep her. So he devises a plan to tell them that she is his sister so they will spare his life. Now, understand this. In actuality, that is a technical truth, at least a half-truth. Sarah was Abram's half-sister. We'll talk about the other side of that another time. I'm from Arkansas. I'm an expert on these issues. (laughs) The point is this. Abram wasn't trying to be fully truthful. He was trying to be deceptive in his ways. And his plan seemed to work as Pharaoh just began to shower gifts upon him. As a matter of fact, here's how we know how beautiful Sarah really was in the eyes of people. The greater and more ridiculous in number the gifts would be in proportion to their measurement of her beauty and value based on that beauty. And so we see that the world recognized Sarai and her beauty. And Abram was thinking, man, this is going a lot better than I ever dreamed that it could go. And then verse 17 hits, but God did. God said, when did I tell you to tell them that Sarah was your sister? I didn't. I didn't say that. You said that. Pharaoh takes Sarah, greatly rewards Abram, but though it satisfied Abram's fears, hey, I don't have anything to fear, I figured this out, it displeased God. You see, God doesn't need deception to bring about his will and his ways. As a matter of fact, God never works through deception. God doesn't need some fraction of truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth by God himself is enough at all times and in all ways for us. Abram subverted God's plan with his own plan because he allowed his fears to overwhelm him. So God afflicts Pharaoh with great plagues. And and here's another interesting part. Pharaoh knows that the affliction is because of the deception that Sarah's brought. It's really hard when non-Christians actually reveal to Christians themselves greater truths about God than we've even dared to obey for ourselves. This had to be humbling. Surely even the weight of the blessing that Pharaoh initially gave to him was condemning to him because he knew it was all rewarded to him out of deception. And so he confronts Abram and then he sends him away, gives him back uh, Sarai and he says, you, you go your own way. It's the, the, the unrighteous living more godly than the quote-unquote righteous themselves. Sure, Abram never intended for his plan to be an affliction to anybody. He didn't think anybody would get hurt. He didn't want anybody to get hurt. But listen, friends, a half-truth is always a whole lie. That's your math lesson for today. A half-truth is always a whole lie. Sin never compels us to look ahead. Sin never compels us to consider the best interest of another not even the best interest of ourself, if we're honest. Rather, sin only justifies our action in the moment to avoid the threat, to try to alleviate the discomfort, the anxiety in which we are conceiving in our mind and heart. Abraham was a man of great faith. 
And he was sent away because he listened to and he allowed the fears of his life to overwhelm him in unbelief. He substituted his plan for God's plan. But God didn't need another plan. He was anchored in the truth. Friends, here's what we understand. Following God by faith means that, listen, we place our whole life into his plan. All of it. None left out. And in his plan comes his power through the one who is our life, Jesus Christ. You see, throughout this section, we will see person after person that God chooses to use in the way that God chooses to use them. And chosen by God's sovereign will for his plan is not dependent upon their righteous nature, but rather upon his sovereign choice for his redemptive purpose. God calls people to follow him to accomplish his redemptive purpose. That's what we're seeing here in the life of one who will become what we know of as the friend of God, the father of the nation of Israel. And God calls people to follow for his redemptive person purposes through the person who is our redeemer, Jesus Christ. This is what the gospel will explain to us in the New Testament, that because of Abraham and God's work through him, one has come to us whose name is Jesus, who is the Christ. In other words, he is the fulfillment of God's promise in what the Old Testament calls the Messiah. And because of what he accomplishes, he is now Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus Christ is our life. From beginning to end in all situations and circumstances, there is never a time, there is never a situation nor a circumstance, there is never a plan that should not involve him because all things are from him, through him, and unto him. Our life in every dimension, in every measure, in every form, and to every purpose is because of Jesus Christ. And from Genesis to Revelation, from before this thing called time began to all eternity, Him and Him alone is our life found. He and He alone gives purpose from God for all of life. I want to offer to you three exhortations today to trust and obey Jesus for all of life's purpose. The first exhortation that I offer to you today is this, that God's word is more true than the lines of your fear, the deception of your anxiety, the promise of your pleasure, or the threat of your pain. God's word is more true, friends. And why do I say more? Because you won't know it's more until you trust it for more. You will weigh it against your unbelief that comes out of fear, anxiety, pleasure, or pain. But unbelief remains for us a constant threat to subvert God's promise with your plan. And that temptation is always rooted in one of these four areas. Here's unbelief's dirty little secret. It's always based on a half-truth. 
And you'll have just enough truth that you need to justify and rationalize what it is you're trying to accomplish. Listen to me, friends. The more present that your fear remains in your mind and heart, the more present your anxiety is allowed to stay, the more present the promise of any pleasure in this life, and the greater fear you have of any pain that may come, the more it remains in you, And to you, the more powerful the temptation of unbelief will become in you. Whatever causes you to doubt God's word, to question God's word, will be the thing that writes the plan to justify within you thwarting obedience to God's word. It does not matter what stands in front of you. It does not matter what comes against you. It does not matter what threatens you. What matters is the one who calls you. His name is Jesus. He is the one that matters. He is revealed in God's word. Jesus will always prove more true as you listen to God's word and trust in him to obey. The second exhortation I want to offer you today is God's promise in Jesus Christ will always be more sufficient to hold you by hope. We have so much more knowledge of God today than Abram had, yet our obedience is still so frequently delayed or avoided altogether. Be careful of this, friends, not to allow the questions of life, the questions of the unknown, to become that with which you blame God or speculate to define God. Do not allow them to convince you to make your own way. They are not the whole truth and nothing but the truth. They are a fraction enough to cause you to walk in unbelief. You know, the fact of the matter is we can't see the future. Oh, sometimes we are duped by those who eloquently promise that they can. But the fact of the matter is we cannot see the future. There's another fact that I'm learning in my life. So often we say hindsight is 2020. I'm calling the bluff on that one. That's not true. Because the more I look back on my life and I see the hand of God in my life, the more I realize the way I understood it even after I didn't see it perfectly. But God does. And He is so faithful because He is truth. Let the truth of what is revealed and known about God in His Word be the sole anchor that holds your life at all times. God told Abraham to go. And let me tell you what Paul, the writer of the book of Romans in the New Testament, how he describes this event in Abram's life. Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 25 tell us this. Against all hope, I'm telling you, There wasn't any hope left is what Paul is telling us. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact. What fact? Well, that he was almost 100 years old and his wife wasn't long behind him. And what God had promised had physical ramifications that contradicted the reality of what he knew of his natural life. But he didn't let that get in his way. I love that. God, I can't do that. That's okay. I'm not asking you to. You let me take care of that. Yet, Paul says, he did not waver through unbelief. He didn't entertain the ideas of half-truths enough to rationalize another way. 
He didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he just said this. He was strengthened in his faith. He said, to God be the glory, being fully, fully persuaded that whatever God said he would do, he absolutely had the power to do it. Hope was enough to hold him. The future before you nor the past behind you, friends, will make sense if God is not the one leading you. According to his word, obey what God calls you to do and all will make sense. Life purpose, Jesus is the only one in whom when all of life centers in him, makes everything make sense and actually work for your good. You see, that's what Jesus is calling you to today. Come, follow me. Follow me. Whatever threatens you from obeying today is far less than the power in God's promise to accomplish what he has willed to do for your life, in your life, and through your life. is If all that you have is hope in Jesus, that alone will be enough. Says God in his word. God's promise in Jesus Christ is most sufficient to hold you by hope. You can trust him. The third exhortation is God's command that it is more sure than your heart or your plan. What, wherever you are, whatever you're facing, your right next step forward is to focus on obeying God. Friends, that's why regular worship is so critical for your life. Not just showing up someplace, but the everyday giving and filling of your heart and your mind with Jesus. Because if you don't, something else will fill it. But to worship Him will be the only way you ever conquer your fear, you ever crush your anxiety, you ever say to the pleasures promise of this world, Jesus is a greater pleasure than whatever you can give. And the pain that this world would threaten you by, you'll say, all of it is worth it if it's done in Jesus' name. I do not mean to say that these will never threaten you. That they will never be present within you. But I am encouraging you today to let them at their temptation within you. Press you deeper into the Lord Jesus Christ. So that his power can be made perfect in you. Never forget the practices you keep. Become the habits that keep you. God's command is more sure than your heart and your plan. So obey Jesus and he will bring you good. Listen, trust, obey. The call of God brings purpose to life when we walk by faith with his command through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.